Hi, welcome to Sleep Training in Law School. I'm your host, Riley Zoak. This devotional podcast has roots in the fact that my son, who is now one and a half years old, um, was going through a struggle with falling asleep. And so I was sleep training him while I'm in law school. I'm trying to learn how to get sleep myself while also getting my work done. Um, and our routine had always been that after we brush our teeth, I would read to him, then I would sing some songs to him and put him down. And on this particular night, I was singing a song to him and I sang it on repeat over and over again. It was a song, Christ Be Magnified. Um, and eventually he was able to fall asleep. And it gave me this idea of just for my own sake, going through the songs that I sing and finding the scripture that is in them um, to basically build myself up, to build my faith up. Um, so that was my devotional for myself. And so I created a podcast to, to talk about those songs that I was singing to him. Um, but I'm going to kind of change it up a little bit today. And today we're starting um, a Torts in the Bible series. I'm in law school and one of the classes I'm taking or um, was taking is class on torts, um, which are basically when somebody does bad things against you, do you have a right to sue them or an ability to sue them? Um, so before we start that, though, some updates since the last podcast. It's been quite a while since I've recorded one. Um, Ray, when I first recorded the first one, had gone through his first ear infection. And since then, it's been 12 weeks, he has had four inf ear infections total. Um, and so that's why I haven't been able to record any podcasts. It's been busy, busy, busy. Um, but on this last uh, two weeks ago, on Monday, he had ear surgery. He had tubes put in his ears, and so that helps that fluid drain out of ears and makes those ear infections less common. So hopefully we're on the other side of it and no longer have those big ear infection troubles. Other update is that I am through with my first quarter of law school. I'm at Baylor Law School, and Baylor works on a quarter um, program instead of a semester program. So instead of having two semesters um, in a school year, we have three quarters. And so what that basically does is it gives us more chances to have exams. And so we've already had exams on uh, torts, civil procedure, and contracts. Um, and then, of course, we had our, our LARC, which is our legal writing class. Um, we've already finished that up. So now we're in the winter quarter, and I'm taking um, torts two, contracts two, and property one, and criminal law. And, of course, legal writing as well. We take that all the time. Um, one of the lessons I learned while in law school um, has to do with the exam process and the uh, um, how to think like a lawyer. Um, and one of the, the ways that we write an exam is we basically use um, a formula called IRAC, which is I-R-A-C. Um, it stands for issue, um, where you have to spot all the issues. Then you have to know the rules. And, uh, and then after that, you you apply those rules um, and then you come to a conclusion. So that's how we write an exam. And the thing I'm learning is that to do really well, you have to be good at spotting issues. You have to know the rules so well and like down cold so that you can write them down super fast. And then you have to put a lot of work um, into the analysis part of it um, and then come to a conclusion. If you basically were to say the rule and then just jump to the conclusion, you're assuming too much. Um, and that, of course, will not get you any good grades. Um, so the series Torts in the Bible basically is a chance for me um, to, to look through that process of finding issues in the Bible, um, where a tort claim might be, um, applying a rule to it, and then being able to figure out that analysis to come to a conclusion. Okay, So the first cause of action that I'm going to talk about um, in this series, um, cause of action is basically what could you sue for? Um, 
and we're looking in the Bible, um, is a cause of action called intentional infliction of emotional distress. Okay. I'm going to say IIED for short. So that's a little faster to say. Um, and basically an intentional infliction of emotional distress is when a person or persons engage in outrageous conduct and they either have the intention to inflict emotional distress or they know that their, um, emo- that emotional distress will result or they act with a reckless disregard of the probability of causing a person's, um, emotional distress. And then finally that, that outrageous conduct with that intent causes that person to suffer severe emotional distress. So that's, that's kind of the working definition we have. That would be our rule statement going through it. And so just pausing for a second, I want you to think what could be anything in the Bible where somebody acted in a way that was causing emotional distress to someone else. Okay, maybe you can think of a lot of stories um, that are there. The one I want to focus on is the story of Joseph and the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Now, for a 35,000 foot flyover of the story of Joseph, this is found in Genesis chapter 37 and it goes all the way to chapter 50, ending out the book of Genesis. Um, Joseph is the son of of Jacob and he's actually the second youngest. There's 12 sons. uh, The first 10 are from Leah and then the last two are from Rachel. and Joseph is the favorite, okay? We know this because um, he was from Rachel, not from Leah. And we also know that his father made this coat of many colors and gave it to him, okay? On top of this, uh, Joseph was also a very prideful person. And when he had these dreams, um, which you can read about in the early chapters, chapter 37, um, we basically hear Joseph saying, one day my brothers are going to bow down to me. And how his 10 older brothers are looking at going, what are you crazy? No, we're never going to do that. And they basically start to hate him. I mean, they hate him so much that one day when Joseph goes out to the fields to basically check on them, um, they see him coming in the distance and they plot to kill him. Um, and eventually this plot to kill him is just changed into a plot to throw him in the well. Um, and then eventually they sell him off. And so this is a pretty outrageous thing that they do to him is dropping him down a well and then basically going to sell him off as a slave um, and also inflict emotional distress on their dad. Okay. Now looking at this, if that's the issue that we're spotting, then the, the um, IED claim is whether Joseph would have a claim against them for emotional distress or for intentional infliction of emotional distress against his 10 older brothers. Um, now, okay. The first thing that it would have to have is that this, his brothers engaged in outrageous conduct and conduct um, that is outrageous would be something that is odious and utterly intolerable in a civilized society. The conduct that goes beyond all bounds of decency. Um, and generally the test for this is just, if you were to tell these facts of the case, um, to the general public, um, would they scream out outrageous? Well, now we're in, we're in biblical times. So of course there's a different, um, different kind of, you know, circumstances around it, different uh, culture. But, um, if you hear, if you were to look at the brother's actions of taking him and throw him in the well and then selling him off as slaves, this is their own brother. I, I think that people would say that's pretty outrageous conduct. Um, that, that goes beyond all bounds of decency that they would throw him in a well, um, and then try to sell him off as a slave. And then also, um, take his coat of many colors covered in blood and then bring it to their dad just to show that he's been, you know, he's dead. Um, so this is outrageous conduct, I would say. 
Now that's the hard part in a law school analysis is being able to apply that rule and then really give a good analysis, not a surface level one. Um, so that's what I'm practicing here. Um, then the second step, if you do have outrageous conduct, is well, did they did they act with the intent to either inflict emotional distress, or did they know that this emotional distress would happen, or even on top of that, did they act with careless, uh, or did they act with uh, reckless disregard? In other words, they know that their conduct would cause some emotional distress, but they don't care. And in this case, I would say that. His brothers, they first they first intended to kill him. They didn't even care about his emotional distress or causing him um, emotional distress. But I would say they probably did have the intent to, to cause that emotional distress since they would go so far as to kill him. Um, but they also just had reckless disregard. They knew they would probably cause... Um, Joseph to have emotional stress by throwing him in the well. They can he can hear them talking about killing him, um, and then he hears people coming. They, he hears them talking about selling him off as a slave, and then he gets sold. They would have to know that that's going to cause some emotional stress. I mean, he's probably screaming, crying, um, saying, "Don't do it! I'll I'll change my ways or whatever." Um, but then he's but then he's sold. So they just don't care. So I would say yes, they either have the intent or they act with reckless disregard. Okay. So the final thing that we'd have to have for this to be an IIED claim is that Joseph must actually be caused to suffer emotional distress. Okay. Uh, this causes the person to suffer severe emotional distress. Um, so the, to see if it's a cause, we do what's called a but for test. And so, but for his brothers attacking him, throwing him in a well and selling him off, he wouldn't have suffered emotional stress. In other words, if they hadn't done this act, he would be fine. He wouldn't have emotional stress. So they do cause his emotional stress. But in order for us to actually have an emotional distress claim or an intentional infliction of emotional distress claim, that emotional distress can't just be normal, ordinary um, emotional stress. It has to be severe emotional stress. Uh, and to shorten the test for this, basically, it has to be so so severe that we would not expect any reasonable person to endure it. Okay, so the average person of society, would we say, yeah, I mean, it's not good, but they can endure it? Or is this so bad that we couldn't expect people to endure it? Um, and so looking at this one with Joseph being sold off as a slave away from his family pretty much forever, who knows what kind of work he's going to have to do. I would say that I wouldn't expect any reasonable person to endure this, to be sold off as a slave and then to have to work for people, potentially die, never see your family again. I'd say this is very severe. Um, so here we do have um, an emotional or intention of intentional infliction of emotional distress claim um, for Joseph against his brothers. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, the story doesn't even stop here. After that, we also have Joseph as a slave. He eventually is working, is sold as a slave to Potiphar, uh, working in the house. Um, and a really cool note here is that we, we hear it says, and Joseph became successful because the Lord was with him. So that's something we want to hold on to. He was successful because the Lord was with him. Um, now, eventually, though, we know the story that um, he's in Potiphar's house and um, Potiphar's wife comes up and basically tries to seduce him. Um, he flees from her like he should. Um, and she eventually accuses him of sexual assault. Um, so he's thrown in prison on these false charges. Okay. Well, once again, this could be an emotional or intentional infliction of emotional distress claim. Does Joseph have that claim against Potiphar's wife? Well, in order for us to do this, um, we'd have to go back through those three analysis. Was there outrageous conduct? Um, I would say that if you were to tell the general public that somebody accused Joseph of sexual assault, 
uh, generally this is outrageous, but at least in our modern society, it's becoming more common for things to be, um, for, for an accusation to be made and still say it's outrageous. Um, but I guess you could probably argue either way that it's, it's probably not as, um, utterly intolerable. Like Potiphar's wife in these days, she would not be considered, um, the bad guy, you know? So maybe not necessarily an outrageous conduct there, but you could argue it. Okay. Now she does act with the intent to cause emotional distress. Um, that's her purpose. She's trying to get him thrown in jail, thrown in prison because he won't do what she wants. So, um, we probably do have the second element there. And then does he suffer severe emotional distress? Um, well, I mean, he's thrown in prison for a while and, and we don't know, um, what's going to become of them. Like uh, prisons back then could have been a really awful time. Um, actually were a really awful time. So, yeah, we could probably argue that there there is severe emotional distress there, um, but at this time, people are in prison. They're expected to endure it um, because of their actions. So here, the analysis, I feel like it's a lot more complicated, at least to do on the spot, um, to see if that, that accusation against him would be so outrageous that it would be an intentional infliction of emotional distress. Um, but it, it could be. And personally, I feel like that is outrageous that she would claim that against him. I mean, lastly, the, the next potential claim is we know that once he is in prison, Joseph, once again, he's successful because the Lord's with him and he earns the respect of the, the prison, the warden, the guards. Um, and eventually he's put in charge of the prison. Um, and he, he eventually interprets some dreams for a cupbearer and a baker. And he basically tells the cupbearer, Hey, you're going to get out of here. You're going to be okay. Um, but when you do remember me, and when you remember me, um, help me get out of here, okay? Because uh, otherwise, I'm going to be here for my whole life. Now, of course, the cupbearer does get out of prison um, three days later. And you would say, well, does he remember Joseph? Nope, he doesn't. For two whole years, Joseph's still basically rotting away in prison until the cupbearer remembers him. Well, would those two years of being forgotten constitute an emotional or intentional infliction of emotional distress? Well, well here... That is a pretty bad thing that's happening to him. Um, when that person, the cupbearer forgets the person who had saved his life, this is, this is bad, but this is probably more of a breach of contract, um, dispute than an intentional infliction of emotional stress. Okay. The cupbearer doesn't act with any intent to cause any emotional stress. He doesn't know probably to a substantial certainty that emotional stress will result. Um, Joseph's supposed to be down there anyways, and he doesn't act with reckless disregard because he doesn't even, he's not even aware. He, he legi legitimately forgot um, about his promise to Joseph for that whole time. Um, so this sucks, um, but Joseph probably doesn't have an intentional infliction of emotional uh, distress claim against um, that cut bear. Okay, so I've gone through these three stories looking at that. In the first one, when his brother sell him off as a slave, this is probably the, the most obvious example of an intentional infliction of emotional distress claim that I can think of um, in Scripture. Now, the other, the other things there could be argued, whether Potiphar's claim against him would go so far as to cause um, an intentional infliction of emotional distress, and it's probably arguable that she did, but maybe not. And then with the cupbearer, uh, probably more of a breach of contract than it is anything um, about an emotional distress claim. Okay, so to wrap up, the story of Joseph um, basically shows us some pretty awful things that happen in, to the, in the Bible uh, to Joseph. Um, but if you know the end of the story, you know what Joseph eventually tells his brothers. Um, this is in chapter 50, verse 20. He says, 
You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So when we reflect on this, we can remember that some pretty outrageous things happen to us too. Maybe we work hard for a company for a very long time and we're treated, you know, like we're nothing. Um, or maybe um, somebody out there in the world makes an accusation against us and where our life was going fine and now it's flipped upside down and, and now we're under the scrutiny in the public. Uh, maybe we get a bill in the mail that we weren't expecting and it feels it feels outrageous to us to get that bell or that bill. Um, so there are things that are uh, terribly outrageous to us that, that come out of nowhere that we're not expecting um, and that make our life basically feel like we're in hell or in prison too. Um, bad things happen and they happen too often. Yet we need to remember that God is working through it all. Okay, He's working through it all for good. So whatever the circumstances that you're in right now, remember that Joseph was also successful because the Lord was with him. And God then worked those bad circumstances into things for good. So join me right now in, in praying that God would be with us and he would work things for good for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that we do not suffer maybe as, as harshly as Joseph suffered and as often as he did. Um, but Lord, we, we thank you for examples that he was faithful to you um, and remembered you um, and that you stayed with him and you were and he was successful because you were with him. Um, Lord, we ask that we would also just keep our eyes focused on you. Um, Lord, that we would ask you to be with us, that we would follow you where you go um, so that we can be successful too. Um, Lord, um, we know that you work through our circumstances, that good things may result. Um, and when we're in these hard times right now, um, please help us to remember that you are working and you're working things for good. It's in your name I pray. Amen. All right. See you guys next time on uh, sleep training in law school.